This program, of course, is presented by Pro Wrestling Illustrated, the most widely read, widely sold, and respected wrestling magazine in the world today. This is the Pro Wrestling Illustrated Podcast. I am your host, PWI senior writer Al Castle. Back once again, reunited with my co-host, fellow senior writer Dan Murphy. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm back from parts unknown. <laughs> yes, good to have you back. And definitely this week, because this week we're going to be talking uh, a lot about women's wrestling uh, and announcing the top 10 of the PWI Female 50. Uh, it's sort of the, the counterpart to the PWI 500. And it is the newest issue, and it should be available for digital download uh, as you listen to this. So we'll have some news on that front. We'll talk, be talking uh, some of, of certainly a, uh, a historic uh, week uh, for women's wrestling coming off a of Hell in a Cell and the main event of Sasha and uh, Charlotte and some kind of mixed opinions of how that went. And then later on, uh, got a special interview with uh, a young woman who may prove to be a pretty uh, important name in pro wrestling. Maybe some someone who most fans aren't uh, familiar with, and her name is uh, Ariel Toombs. And if you recognize uh, the last name, it's because she is the daughter of Rowdy Roddy Piper. And uh, she and her brother, uh, Colton, uh, just released a book about their dad called Rowdy uh, the Roddy Piper story, and we talk a bit about that, and also talk about her involvement with a new women's wrestling promotion that they've got some uh, pretty lofty goals for. Right now, let's quickly talk about Pro Wrestling Illustrated. As I said, um, the latest issue featuring the female 50 drops this week. Uh, a lot more in that issue. Uh, my interview, I think it's the first uh, I'm announcing it, uh, with... Kenny Omega, a winner of the, uh, the the G1 Climax and the likely challenger for the IW, IWGP heavyweight title at the uh, the big New Year show in January. And we talk uh, a lot about his career, kind of how we got to the point uh, where he is now. I think, you know, you don't see too many uh, uh, long-style magazine interviews with somebody like Kenny Omega uh, and such a unique figure in being... A, a North American star that is now a top star in, in New Japan, which is essentially the, the second biggest promotion uh, in the world. So that was a, a lot of fun to interview him. Not fun waking up at four in the morning to interview him no, because uh, no. the time yeah. difference. Time different. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but but it actually gave kind of a whole other dimension to the interview. So that was fun, too. Um, Dan, what else? Uh, as if the PWI female 50 isn't enough. Do you have something else in, in the newest issue? Oh, you know something? I I, I focused pretty much on the, the yeah. female 50. I think that's all I had in you know, my normal columns. But uh, the 50 is, is something I kind of take the lead on and, and do a lot of the research on that. So that's really kind of where my focus was for this issue. Um, just uh, two weeks ago, too, and, and kind of it's, it's interesting with uh, Hell in the Cell and ending with the women's title match as the main event of a pay-per-view for the first time. I actually saw another women's steel cage match two weeks ago up at Smash Wrestling in Toronto, uh, which was Cherry Bomb or Allie from TNA against Courtney Rush or Rosemary from TNA. Uh, they've had a feud going on for several years. It's, it really kind of lit up about a year and a half ago, and uh, they ended up having a huge steel cage match with tables and chairs and the whole nine yards and uh, thumbtacks. Allie went into the thumbtacks and was picking those out of her back and legs backstage. So uh, yeah, it's just been uh, it's it's a great exciting time for for women's wrestling. So uh, let's let's get into this. Yeah, well, uh, while while we're talking PWI, why don't you tell them a little bit about uh, the female fifty? How many years now uh, have we been uh, putting this together? I think this is the eighth. Mm -hmm. I believe so. Yeah, we we put this together. We had the idea again with the the kind of. Some of the growing popularity of women's wrestling um, with women superstars uncensored. Shimmer, obviously, was just kind of taking off. That began a little over 10 years ago, uh, coming up on 11 years, I believe now. Um, and there's the beginning of a movement of, in women's wrestling. TNA had the knockouts division that was regularly getting the highest ratings of, of impact. Um, WWE was still lagging a little bit behind, but obviously now they're, they're at the forefront. Uh, but PWI decided with so many viable women out there, we would 
try to see if we could do a ranking like the 500. And we just came up with 50, a fairly arbitrary number, except that we like the way that female 50 sounded. And uh, it's taken off from there. It's been one of our best uh, selling issues, one of our more popular issues. And I'm happy, actually, I'm going to be going out to uh, Shimmer in Chicago next week. And uh, it looks like I'm going to be able to bring some advanced copies. So I'm oh, going to be selling some copies of the female 50 at Shimmer uh, a couple weeks before the physical magazine gets on the newsstand. So that's that'll great. be a really cool opportunity to get it out in the fans' hands. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So let's get the plug out of the way. Um, all you need to know, pwi-online.com. That's the place to go if you want to uh, order the print issue, if you want to subscribe. Uh, the longer you subscribe for it, the deeper the discount. You get half off the, the cover price by subscribing. Um, and again, you can subscribe digitally also, and you get it quicker to your device. And uh, I understand there are some changes coming with the digital edition that's going to make it a, a lot more friendly on mobile phones. Um, so uh, look out for that. We keep on trying to give you, you know, the most value for your dollar. Uh, and again, what you need to know, pwi-online.com. If you're listening to this podcast on uh, the website already, just move over there, or click on uh, subscribe or order, and uh, please support us. And uh, follow us on Twitter, at OfficialPWI. Find us on Facebook, Pro Wrestling Illustrated. And uh, send us an email at pwipodcast at outlook.com. And uh, subscribe on iTunes to the podcast, please, and, and leave us a positive review. All right. Uh, I feel like we were just doing this for the PWI 500, and here we are again revealing the news. Uh, Dan, why don't we uh, reveal who is this year's number one ranked wrestler in the female 50? It's, it's important to note that the, uh, the time frame for the female 50 um, let me go over a couple things. Uh, primarily, we looked at the performance from October 1st, 2015 through September 30th, 2016. And it's based mostly on championships won, very similar to the PWI 500. Championships won, quality of opposition, technical proficiency, one loss records, overall activity, and momentum or promotional push. Uh, you know, how big you are in the company in which you are and, and how you're being featured. The, the, the big event that happened kind of right after the deadline and this is I, I was getting heartburn watching it happen <laughs> uh but uh it was a title change that happened as soon as the magazine was done it's like oh come on it was the first raw after the evaluation period uh but after hell in a cell that has been righted so we're back to being um you know yeah. current because number one it's the woman from champion city it's charlotte yeah that yeah. seems like uh, i wouldn't say an easy choice but the right choice. Um, yeah. Uh, tell me more about it. I mean, you laid out the criteria. Was Charlotte clearly dominant in all those categories? She really was. I mean, she dropped the title twice to Sasha Banks. Um, Sasha, though, uh, well, number one, Charlotte was still undefeated at pay-per-views, which is just ridiculous. Mm -hmm. um, she went 13-0 in pay-per-views since coming up to the main roster, and some of that was technically before that period of time, but it just shows how dominant she's been. Uh, Sasha won the title on October 3rd, so it's technically right outside of the evaluation period for her second title run. But her first reign was also brief. She missed a little time with injury, and she also really kind of went missing right after WrestleMania. Sure, sure. Um, I really thought that she was going to win that title at WrestleMania. I thought that was going to be the big Sasha Banks coming out party. And instead, they decided to kind of push it back. And I think she lost a, a great deal of momentum because of that. She really is something special and uh, has, has proven to be that from her first match on NXT, uh, just in terms of athleticism. Uh, but now, since certainly since coming over to the main roster, the personality is just off the charts. I mean, she well, is uh, one of the best heels in the company. Yeah, that's what she may have kind of inherited from her father, if anything. But what's really remarkable about her, and I remember interviewing her last year when she, or two years ago now, I believe, when she was the right, uh, rookie right. year. Um, she wasn't trained at all by her dad. You know, it, it's not like, um, you know, and most second generation wrestlers are trained by their father. Um, even Natty first started, Natalia Neidhart started uh, with, you know, Jim the Anvil, Neidhart and Stu and the Hart family and everything. Charlotte kind of got, you know, pointers from her dad a little bit, but her style is nothing like her father's. She doesn't wrestle. She, she's her own person. Um, and I think that's where she's been a success. I mean, she does the woo and she does the figure eight, 
But other than that, her her style is very aggressive. It's very athletic. Corkscrew moonsaults off the top rope to the floor. Flair never did anything remotely like that in his career. So it, it's really a testament to her being her own individual and and just not kind of riding on her father's coattails. Yeah. yeah. And, and uh, again, the athleticism was always there. I think she was a, a gymnast uh, before. That's her background. And you'd think some of that would come somewhat naturally to her. No pun intended. Uh, but the the personality side, I think, is what, what's really impressed me. Uh, because anybody who has ever tried to, to cut a wrestling promo or even, you know, done like acting in a high school play or any kind of like public performance knows how unnatural that could be and and just kind of getting out of your head and um and performing especially for somebody who was not a lifer i mean she was not somebody who was pursuing a career in wrestling uh but she's taken to it so well and goes out there and delivers promos with a conviction that a lot of men who have been doing this for for years and years and years uh, don't have. I mean, the one that comes to mind, not to, to dump on him, but but Randy Orton, uh, you know, her first year in the business, she is more believable behind that microphone than Randy is now, you know, close to 20 years into the business. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's just... Uh... She's been a, a quick student of the game and, and she, uh, like you said, a fantastic athlete. And she's, you know, and apparently, again, I I, I didn't expect her to come out with the, the title at WrestleMania, but WWE has really been impressed with her. Um, you know, whether her next feud is with Bayley or where they go, she is still the head of the, the women's division. And, um, you know, I kind of thought Sasha Banks would take that over from her, but they are committed to her. And, you know, maybe she's kind of the alternate gender uh roman reigns you know the one who's got the gifts and the one that the company tapped but it's actually working really yes. well yeah. you could debate the finish on sunday night um but it it's hard to argue uh, uh against building a women's division around charlotte uh because she's got it all okay when you tell us who number two is Number two, it's her arch rival. It's Sasha Banks. Yeah, now, that makes sense. <laughs> last, last year, Sasha was number three, and we we heard it on Twitter and emails on social media. Oh my God, she had the matches of the year with Bailey, and how could she possibly, you know, not be number one? And and behind Nikki Bella of all things, of course, Nikki Bella had had such a long run with the the women's title, and Sasha did have great matches against uh, against Bailey, but she lost those matches. I mean, that's part of our criteria. Um, so last year she was in third this year, she was contending for one, but came in number two. Yeah. Uh, I mean, given the year she's had, it's hard to call it a flop or a disappointment or anything like that. But certainly, um, I think a lot of people expected her to be further along now, uh, than she is. And look, we say this, whatever it is, four days removed from her headlining a pay-per-view. Yeah, uh, exactly. So, so again, not at all uh, a bad year. I mean, it's a fantastic year. That said, I remember a year ago coming off of uh, the, the Brooklyn takeover and even more so the, the Iron Man match that followed that, thinking she was one of the best performers in, in all of the business uh, in, again, either gender, um, just in terms of, just a refined, polished to act. And it just, you know, and, and I think this happens with uh, a lot of acts transitioning from NXT to WWE. Uh, it's just some things don't translate as well, and I don't think she has. And um, the fans are definitely behind her. They're certainly behind her in Boston uh, on Sunday night. I just feel like, I don't know, I, I, I think the, uh, the the fan in her, the kind of starry-eyed dreamer, I can't believe this is happening to me, I think she totally hasn't shaken that, and it comes through, and uh, maybe there is a, a self-awareness, a self-confidence uh, issue. I mean, I, I still get this kind of oh, gee, I can't believe here vibe uh, out of her, where I didn't see that as much in NXT. NXT, she felt more like, you know, I run this place, you know, the boss, I, I deserve to be here, and I, and I haven't felt that level of comfort yet in um, WWE 
proper. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that she's a natural heel, and in NXT it allowed her to do that. Um, but they have a strong heel with Charlotte, and that means that her best position was as a face. Uh, so I think she's kind of a, a square peg in a round hole right now. Um, maybe that heel character will develop a little bit more. Maybe she'll kind of just, you know, take a new aspect of her persona as a baby face. Uh, but right now, I agree. I don't think she recaptured what she had at NXT quite on the main stage. Yeah, and there have been other things at play. There was an injury that sidelined her uh, at a pretty pretty important time. Um, I believe she got married not long ago, yeah. so that was a little bit of a, a, a distraction, so to speak. Uh, so, you know, but again, she's so young. There's no reason to believe that she's just not going to get you know better and better and better. And and even if she doesn't. She is already in the conversation of uh, a a WWE Hall of Famer just in you know what she accomplished this past Sunday night. Uh, so again, nothing at all to to be disappointed with. Exactly. Uh, number three. Number three. It is your NXT Women's Champion. It's Asuka. Uh, she'll always be Kana to me, but yeah. Um, Probably the most intimidating woman on the WWE roster. Other, I would even put her more so than Nia Jax. Um, certainly the stiffest hitting and uh, one of the most accomplished internationally with all of her work in Japan, uh, where she really, I don't want to put too big of a point on it, but kind of re-established or re-helped redefine women's wrestling in Japan over there uh, with her Kana Manifesto that she wrote. Um, but yeah, Asuka, she's been just incredible since getting to NXT, uh, still undefeated. And it's really something that's impressive because up to this point with, with her and with Nakamura, WWE had really struggled in showcasing and developing Japanese talent. Um, they have allowed these two to be the characters that they were in Japan, uh, for the most part, to stay pretty much the same. And that's worked. It's worked really well for the two of them. Uh, I'm hoping that they both get an opportunity to get to the main roster pretty soon. But as of right now, you know, uh, she's really still kicking it down in NXT and, and doing a fantastic job. So she gets the number three spot. What do you see as the, the ceiling for Asuka? Because there's a lot of talk that she won't be coming to the main roster, certainly not anytime soon, that she is uh, sort of designed for NXT and that's where she will stay, that WWE sees her as kind of an, an NXT player and maybe not so sure, again, that it translates that well to the main roster. Um, do you agree? Would, would it be disappointing if she never does come over to the main roster? Yeah, it, it would be disappointing to me. Um, uh, she is remarkably talented. And I got the opportunity to see her up, up close and personal a lot of times at Shimmer and, and really get to see her uh, against, say, like Ember Moon, who that'll end up being kind of a dream match in NXT when, when Athena Ember Moon kind of uh, gets a little bit more established and saw her against a lot of other people like that. Uh, there's been some talk about uh, Kari Hojo and Io Shari. Um, or I, I always mispronounce her last name. It might be Shirai, but in any case, from stardom, um, coming into WWE next year. Uh, whether or not that happens, if it does happen, you know, there could be the potential to say, all right, now we've got three girls who all come up through uh, the Joshi style, and let's see what they can do and, and bring them up there and put them against each other. Because right now on the Raw roster, Asuka can probably go with Charlotte, with Bailey and with uh, with um, Sasha, but I don't know if she's got many more natural matchups other than that. So, with the, if the time is right and the right op op opponents and opportunities present themselves, I, I'd really like to see her make it on the main stage because I really think that she's got the personality and the style to to make a splash, um, and it will translate from NXT to to Raw or SmackDown. All right, number four. Number four, it is your SmackDown Women's Champion. It's Becky Lynch. Yeah, so so WWE is kind of uh, cleaning up here so far. Do, do you see Becky Lynch as, as kind of in the same conversation? The first three women that we talked about clearly are something really, really special. Is Becky Lynch uh, just a notch below that? I mean, her number four ranking would suggest that that she is but do you see it all as kind of the same league of of women 
Yeah, it's just she happened to be drafted to the SmackDown brand, um, which I think is still somewhat the the second fiddle to Raw, just because Raw is still the the flagship program. That's changed a little bit, but certainly you've got the uh, elite women's competition on Raw, and then Becky kind of, well, the women who are positioned as the elite women, uh, the ones who are headlining main uh, pay-per-views are on Raw. Um, whereas you have a, a kind of a step down on, on SmackDown. Uh, Becky's not a step. Uh, she's just kind of the one who is um, holding that division together. She's the cornerstone of that division. But certainly she can hang with, with anybody. Um, and she showed that at WrestleMania and everything else. I mean, she was part of that whole revolution, so to speak, that happened last year. And she was just as viable as Charlotte or Sasha or anyone else who was involved with that. Um, she's had, you know, she came out on the losing end of a few feuds, had some losses to Natalia and some other things, but came back really well with finally capturing the, uh, the becoming the first SmackDown women's champion. So she had some disappointments along the way, but she was fighting elite competition throughout the year and ended on a strong note with that championship. Does it benefit her to be the the big fish in a smaller pond on SmackDown because that um, roster of women is not as deep. Uh, does it hurt her, or does it hurt her in that she doesn't have the competition? She doesn't have as many opportunities to put on good matches as the women do on Raw. Again, I think again, and we've disagreed about this in the past, but I think the brand split hurts everybody mm-hmm. um, because you do have you know well. You know, you, yeah, you're the top woman on SmackDown, but you're not in the same division as these people. So you're never really having those those real dream matches, or there's never that one undisputed champion. Which which does all that that does is it, it just kind of tarnishes both a little bit, and you hang an asterisk on both. It's like okay, well, they were the Raw champion at this time when these people were there, and she was the SmackDown champion when these people were there. Well, why not everybody on one brand or within one division? able to face each other but yeah i don't think it helps her being uh, so to speak the, the big fish in the small pond I, I think it helps everyone um you know if you have everybody in one big pond and the one who comes out on top that's the one who who you know gets the recognition yeah and um you know i think she's also hurt by that title not having the lineage that right. the, the raw title does and, yeah, I mean, she just doesn't have as many women to work with. I mean, you've seen it by who she's been feuding with uh, as of late. Alexa Bliss, who I think on the Raw side, I don't know what they'd be doing with her. I mean, I can't imagine she'd be challenging for the title. I mean, you've got Bailey, Charlotte, Sasha, um, even Nia Jax, who, who brings a different kind of flavor on the Raw side. And it's, uh, you know, no offense to, to the women on SmackDown who are all trying their best, but um, there's not nearly the depth there. So, no. uh, okay, uh, what are we up to now? Number five. Five, okay. It's everyone's favorite hugger. It is Bailey. Bailey. I'd see some people uh, not thrilled about that, that place. Well, you know, it speaks to the depth, you know, that somebody as talented as Bailey um, is, is down at number five, but... You know, it's hard to argue against everybody, anybody above her. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly it. And she had a great year in NXT. Her call-up uh, took a while. Um, you know, she had the one match and then went back down and then finally came back up again. Um, after dropping the title, you know, she she had kind of a, a lesser run um, in NXT, uh, had some losses against Asuka, Um and then, you know, there's a little bit of downtime right before joining Raw back in August. Um, and she had a win over Charlotte in a non-title match in September, but then kind of slipped out of title a little bit as Sasha Banks jumped back in. So she had kind of a, well, a, a good year, um, not quite as, well, a better year than last year's grading period, but she was a little bit higher last year in the calendar year, I guess, if that makes any sense. Right. Uh, she was ranked 11th last year. She moved up to five. Uh, but last year she was the, at this time, she was the uh, women's champion who just had a pair of match of the year candidates that she won. And uh, this year she's kind of a backing figure for the women's title on Raw. Yeah. 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 And what hurts her, it, it's sort of uh, 
the same thing that Sammy Zami Zane deals with is that the character is uh, not just an underdog, but sort of the perennial loser. And and I, I mean that literally. I mean she loses a lot of matches, and and the point is to to build sympathy to kind of reinforce that underdog character. Uh, but that doesn't do her win loss record any favors. Uh, so, you know, y- you see her lose a lot, uh, more than you'd like. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. And that's uh, you know, wins and losses are part of our criteria. We're not looking at quote unquote work rate or what. I mean, it's right. wins and losses is part of it. So right. that's that's it. Yeah, and she's also as far as quality of competition, uh, as you mentioned, I guess she's hurt by of of all the women you've mentioned. I guess other than Asuka, who hasn't been on the main roster at all. Uh, but she's been dominant in NXT. Uh, the other three have have been on the main roster for for a while now. Yes. Um, all right. Number six. six. Yep. It's our first TNA. It is Jade, former Mia Yim. Um, she was number twenty last year. Bounced up to number six. Uh, she had the title run, and she looked like a really strong champion. Now this is she won the title at a time where that knockouts division title just started changing hands every week um she had a few month reign uh then if i can remember she lost it to sienna who lost it to ali who lost it to maria canellis who lost it to gal kim who lost it to rosemary <laughs> yes yeah, it's like uh the wcw title in, yeah in yeah. 2000 but she she had the last really kind of dominant run and on top of that uh, she was also extremely active in WSU, in Shimmer, in Shine, uh, contending for championships all over there. Very active on the independent circuit. In the best shape of her career, she's just she's just a physical fitness freak. And uh, she's been just having some amazing uh, matches in over the past year. Um, so she really had a big step up, and she was the flag bearer for the knockouts division for several months, and it gave her the sixth spot. Yeah. Yeah. TNA obviously has got a lot bigger problems than, than this, but um, the fall of their women's division has been um, maybe kind of an underreported story because, you know, years back when WWE was still having, uh, you know, brawn panty matches and, and that kind of thing, uh, TNA was very much ahead of the curve in, yes. in pushing women's wrestling. And I don't know what just happened. I mean, it's almost like they've... Um, I mean, it's not that they trade of play, traded places uh, because TNA still has, you know, very high-quality women's wrestling, but yeah, I guess so much of it, you know, they, they suffer uh, from all the other problems that TNA has. They're, they're not unique to the uh, women's division. Okay, number seven? Number seven. I mentioned her a little bit earlier. It's Natalia. Um, and this may seem high because Natalia's yeah. had some losses, um, but... You've got to remember that right out of WrestleMania, she became the top contender to Charlotte's world title, her women's title. Um, she had the match at Roadblock, then she had, uh, well, before WrestleMania at Roadblock, and then she had Payback, where there was that Montreal screw job thing again with Charles Robinson. Um, at Extreme Rules, it looked like she was going to win the title again when Dana Brooke came out. Then she had the feud with when she finally turned and had the feud with. Uh, Becky Lynch, she had a couple big wins over Becky Lynch, although she ultimately lost that feud. In ring, in terms of contending for the title, which she hasn't held since 2011, so it's been five years since she's held the the Divas title, um, she was closer to it than ever before, and she spent about six months of the year as the top or one of the top contenders to the women's title. Yeah. And she's, I mean, she can... She's a heck of a, a veteran, a heck of a, a worker, you know, 16 years in the business. Um, so she can definitely go. And she had one of her strongest years in, in recent years this year. Yeah, the problem with Natty uh, has always been consistency. Uh, she has a few. I mean, the, the match quality, the work rate has always been there. It's unquestionable. Uh, but it. It's like WWE kind of falls in and out of love with her. You know, she'll she'll get a, a push for a few months uh, and, you know, be challenging for the women's title and that kind of thing. Uh, and then not not only does she drop down in the cards, she disappears. She's just yeah. gone. You know, it's, you just well, don't see her at all for months at a time. It, it's kind of the curse of the worker in that 
she's somebody who they can put her in against anybody. Hey, we got this new girl coming up. She's pretty green and we want you to work with her for a few months. Or, hey, uh, we need somebody for the main event. We need you out there. Uh, and she's also versatile enough. Where do you remember when Nikki Bella returned um, when Eva Marie was suspended? Nikki came out and got a babyface reaction, uh, but her team was supposed to be a heel team. And he was once he's like, we're going to be babyface for this match, and was able to kind of um, just go with it. Um, she being that versatile has allowed WWE to be able to plug her into different spots. Yeah, um, yeah. Sometimes that's hurt her, and sometimes you know she's been with the company for a long time, so it's that's the benefit to it. I, I think what's uh, held her back somewhat over the years is that for all the talent that's there, that's unquestionable. There's always been kind of an awkwardness about her. Um, you know, I was watching uh, Talking Smack last night. I don't know if you watch it. It's the the show, the after show for SmackDown that airs on WWE Network. And very unscripted, uh, kind of fun to watch just because of that, because you have wrestlers cutting, you know, uh, uh, unscripted, natural promos. And she shows up at the very beginning, kind of crashes the set, uh, and starts talking about her cat and um, hawking like these t-shirts with her cat's face on them uh, to Daniel Bryan and to Renee. And, she, and she's like not even holding a microphone. Nobody could hear her. The whole thing was just like weird and kind of uncomfortable. And then Shane McMahon, what felt like impromptu, came in and kind of kindly ushered her away. Uh, and I thought, you know, it was sort of a microcosm of like, yeah, this, that's Natty Neidhart's career, you know. Uh, so, well, I don't she's, know. Uh, yeah, she, she um, yeah, well, you know, she's also playing uh, angles for uh, Total Divas, I think, too. So. Yeah. Uh, all right. What do we have, to? Number eight? Number eight. Uh, another one from TNA. It's Gail Kim. Hall of Famer. Into the TNA Hall of Fame this year. Yeah. Um, again, what kind of hurt Gail? I mean, Gail, fantastic in the ring. She had a match um, last year against uh, where she beat Tigre Uno in the uh, vacant world title tournament thing that they did that was a big kind of cluster. Um, but she, she had a, a win over a, a competent, solid male wrestler. Not that that's necessarily part of the criteria, but it was a highlight. Uh, she regained the, the title for a record time, uh, sixth time, I believe. Uh, right after the, the Hall of Fame ceremony. Uh, she beat Lufisto in a big match in Absolute Intense Wrestling, a match that's uh, really, I think that was the first time that it ever happened. Um, plus wins over Awesome Kong, Jade, and Sienna. Uh, what hurt her really is you know, TNA's taping schedule. And, yeah, yeah. and Gal is not working the independence all the time. You know, she'll, she'll do it occasionally for some big matches, um, but she wasn't as active and wasn't as prominent, um, and, and that's about it. But when she was in the ring, she was she was on top. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, people you know, make jokes about the TNA Hall of Fame and what it's worth and that kind of thing. Uh, but her induction was one of the cooler things I've seen in TNA over the last year. Um, firstly, it was, you know, very much deserved. I mean, she absolutely has been one of the more uh, important players in that company. Uh, you know, we were talking about the heyday of, of women's wrestling in TNA, and she was absolutely at the forefront of it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, just that video package and seeing all the women uh, and even the men talk about her in glowing terms uh, as far as uh, just what a professional she is and what a pioneer she's been. Uh, it was really nice to see her uh, get that moment. Uh, and yeah, she's still going strong, looks great. It's a shame that she went to WWE when she did. She was uh, kind of ahead of her time. WWE yeah. I wasn't ready for her at that time. I mean, you'd think today she'd fit in great with what's going on over there. Uh, but she was, and she just had a cup of coffee there, but it was sort of that tail end of the, the, the brawn panty stuff. And um, she was never going to be a good fit for that. All right, number nine. Number nine, uh, from Lucha Underground, Sexy Star. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah. A little bit of controversy maybe on this one. Um, Sexy Star uh, worked almost exclusively against men in Lucha Underground. She walked out of uh, AAA, so she, she left Mexico. She was talking about potentially retiring, although it's just been announced that she's going to be at Shimmer 
Um, I, I believe she's going to be at Shimmer. Um, yeah, she is in, in two weeks. So she's still back on the independence now. Um, but really, she did have a couple matches over women. Uh, a big one, uh, the huge brawl that she had with Mariposa. It was a false count anywhere, no disqualification match. That was really one of the most wild Lucha Underground matches I've seen this year. And she's been, you know, presented as a, a real legitimate title contender. Um, she's one of the company's top stars. She's one of the most visible women in a, uh, a nationally televised wrestling promotion. So she gets in the, the, uh, in the top 10 with spot number nine. Yes, and I don't know how much we can say in terms of uh, spoilers, uh, <laughs> but, you know, it only gets better for her at Lucha Underground, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely in that camp that not crazy about seeing women versus men um, in, in Lucha Underground, and I know there are people who, who think that it is very sort of empowering for women, and... Um, um, that kind of thing, and very progressive. Ugh, I don't know. There's an issue of taste there. I mean, do you, do you want to have uh, men beating up on women uh, on television? And who rounds out the top ten? And this one might be another one of a, a surprise, but the timing was right. Um, number ten from TNA, it's Sienna, Allison K. So uh, she had just won the title. Uh, it was just kind of settling in and really establishing herself as a really physical dominant uh, force in TNA. Um, she had been, let's see, uh, in addition to, you know, being a regular with, with Shimmer and on the independent circuit, um, she had a win over Gal Kim in her first match in the company, then had a win over Madison Rain, then went back to win the title in a three-way match. Mm -hmm. So she kind of came on just as hitting her stride as we were putting this together, and um, she dropped the title shortly thereafter. Um, but yeah, she got the number 10 spot because she was the, the most dominant uh, and the reigning champion as we assembled the list. And uh, last year's number one, I didn't hear her come up at all. And, and is that mostly uh, because of the injury? Yeah, you're right. Uh, last year's number one was Nikki Bella. Uh, and it was because of the injury. Um, she was not included in this year's list. She just wasn't active enough during the evaluation period. Um, certainly not to be ranked ahead of the women who were ranked. So uh, yeah, she was uh, she was not didn't make the cut this year. Wow. Okay. Uh, all right. I th I think you you put together uh, a heck of a top ten there. I've got no issues with it, and uh, I am very much interested in seeing the rest of the fifty. Yeah, a lot of this is news to me. So uh, yeah, uh, definitely a fun list. Dan, you do fantastic work. I mean, and you go out of the frying pan into the fire between the five hundred and the fifty. I don't know how you get it done. Here's the thing, in, in a week and a half, I'm going to be at Shimmer, and I'm going to be face-to-face -face with all of these women, and everyone's going <laughs> to be asking me, you know, how am I ranked behind Alexa Bliss? And, you know, so I, yeah, yeah, I, uh, I'll, I'll, take, I'll take grief about it. In fact, <laughs> one time, a few years ago, I was backstage at Shimmer, and uh, it was year, maybe the second year of the, the Female 50, and Awesome Kong came up to me, and it was the first time I'd met her. And she came up and she just was staring at me with the wild eyes and just said, so you're the guy who does the female 50, huh? And I'm just saying, oh, she's gonna, she's mad at her ranking. And then her face, just a big smile. And she's like, it's so nice to meet you. And gave me a big <laughs> hug. <laughs> Is the, uh, again, the, the 500 has been around now long enough that I think, you know, it's taken for granted um, just the work that goes into. But do you sense more gratitude from the women just that there is a female 50 yeah i think there is i mean certainly you know everybody has their position on where everybody should be ranked um but they're i'll put it this way this year we um made sure that we um we, we had some challenges with editorial and with space but we did a different layout and they did a great job with the layout department. We were able to include photos of all 50 women. That's great. Uh, we weren't able to do that last year. So having that back is, is huge um, because this way, you know, people can go and they can flip through and see, okay, who is this person? I, I've heard about this person in NXT. Let's be able to read about her. And it, it brings more attention to who's out there and, and kind of educates fans that there's more than just WWE or just WWE and TNA. Uh, there's a lot of independent talents on there, a few international. Um, so yeah, there's there's an awful lot to it. And um, I, I think it's a good thing for women's wrestling all around. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm definitely uh, looking forward to flipping. Some, uh, say, some would say that the PWI female 50 started the women's revolution. <laughs> yes, I don't know if they would, but they we might. have you to thank. <laughs> so on that topic, let's talk uh, a little bit about, again, what was a, a historic night for women's wrestling this past Sunday. Um, Hell in a Cell, they made the decision to have two women headline a pay-per-view, go on last. Uh, certainly at the outset, it felt really important. You know, I was live tweeting uh, it. They gave Charlotte the big entrance. They gave Sasha the big entrance. I think the crowd was was kind of hot for it. Uh, and then, I don't know. I mean, um, it, uh, maybe it's too much to call it a dud. It was an okay match, uh, but uh, I think it, it was absolutely disappointing. It was probably... Out of three Hell in a Cell matches that night, um, the the least good of the three, uh, a lot of things kind of went wrong. I think the layout was was sort of doomed from the outset uh, with the selling outside the ring for so long before it came back into the ring. And there were some spots that were kind of clunky. Charlotte was uh, uh, dominating most of the match. Sasha was selling most of the match, which would would have suggested the big you know comeback by the baby face in her hometown and then she pulls out the win uh but out of the blue it just kind of ends um you know nobody kind of saw it coming it wasn't any huge spot and you know it just kind of fizzled out i i didn't think it was you know that much of a match the crowd was kind of dead for it uh there there's all kinds of things you can point to as contributing to what, what went wrong in the match, not the least of which is three Hell in a Cell matches in one night, which I That's just think it. is ridiculous. Well, I, I don't think there should be three in a year. Well, um, I don't think there should be Hell in a Cell matches in this era because it's it's a PG era. I mean, the whole point of a cell was from the old steel cage matches. All right, back in the when steel cage matches first became popular in the 70s and into the 80s. If there was a steel cage match, you were going to see blood. It was guaranteed. You had to see blood. I mean, that was the point of the cage. Everybody knew it. You know, you get the face rake against the cage and there'd be blood and everything else. Now, there's no blood anymore. That's fine. But you have this cage that they're not even really utilizing. No. There's not a lot of things. The weapon shots are fairly weak. There's there's a lot of things that could be done. The, 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 again, the women's cage match I saw between Allie and Rosemary, light years better than that Hell in a Cell match. Uh, and it was in, you know, a small building in, in Toronto. Uh, you know, they had thumbtack spots. They had a table spot. They had some really compelling storytelling. They, they actually almost did the, 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 the Tully Blanchard Magnum TA Starcade 1985 spot um, where, where Cherry Bomb had a, uh, like a stake that she was going to put through Rosemary's heart. And it was just uh, a really well-told match that was fairly believable and, and utilized that cage. It wasn't the third formulaic Hell in a Cell yeah. match on the same night. So yeah. they were in a tough spot. Yes, and I do think um, after the, the first two Hell in a Cell matches, which were both pretty good, uh, the crowd was burnt out uh, a little bit. All that said, uh, you know, and I brought this up interviewing uh, Ariel Toombs, uh, which we'll hear in a moment. I think the women deserve some of the blame here, just as two men who have a bad match deserve some blame. Um, I, I don't think they should be held to any different standard. We've seen both women have much better matches, better matches with each other. Yep. Uh, so you can't just blame it on some of the circumstances. And and there were a lot of circumstances. Again, three Hell in Cell matches in one night. Uncertainty until that day, really, about whether they would be headlining. Um, you know, I, I think if it was uh, promoted ahead of time that this was going to be the main event of a show, um, fans would have would have been uh, more receptive to it, you know. When when you put on a world title match in the middle of the card and you end with the women, the women historically being kind of that popcorn match. Exactly. Uh, yeah. a, a lot of fans are not going to be up for it. I mean, it would have been one thing if if you got them up for it. If you spent three weeks hyping it up, this is going to be the first ever women's main event uh, of a card. So WWE absolutely dropped the ball in the build up. That said, the women dropped the ball in the execution. At the end of the day, this just wasn't a very good match. Are, are American wrestling fans in 2016 ready to see a Hell in the Cell match between two women? Well, here's, here's the thing. And I mean, not to do a, a cheap plug here, but 
I go into all of this in, in the book that I have coming out um, on the history yeah, of women's no, Yeah, uh, Sisterhood of the Squared Circle that comes out next year. Uh, but we really do talk a lot about this, about the – Pat LaProd, my co-author, and I had a panel discussion at the Cauliflower Rally Club um, with Santana Garrett and cheerleader Melissa and Malaya Hosaka and Chelsea Diamond talking about the future of women's wrestling. And one of the, the topics that we brought up is – Will we ever see a women's or a WWE pay-per-view and have a women's match in the main event? I said I thought we would. A couple other people on the panel said it would never happen. And less than six months later, it, it happened, um, which, you know, there's definitely a movement there. And far as like that smash match, the Cherry Bomb uh, Rosemary or Ellie Rosemary, it was Cherry Bomb and Courtney Rush when they started. That feud started about a year and a half ago when Rosemary cut Cherry's hair, and they've been doing a steady build, a build that's gone 18 months. And they've had a few matches. They've had some pull-aparts. They've had Cherry Bomb had a, the, the broken collarbone that kept her out of action, and, and she would play around that, oh, I, you, you know, I can't wrestle, we can't do this. So by the time that, that feud finally got to that level, it told the story, and the fans wanted to see them in the cage where nobody else could interfere and, and make this happen, and they loved it. There was really no reason for a hell in the cell for the women's match. There was no buildup. It was just three weeks. And there, all there, this, of course, there's a reason, Dan. It's October, and hell in the cell happens in October. <laughs> all right, yeah, but I mean, <laughs> I think that there is an audience for it, and if you tell a story and build it, yes, they'll they'll buy in, they'll love it. But if you just shoehorn them in because hey, we want to be progressive, and why not have the women go out in the match and and you know whatever. It's it 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 doesn't have it's not organic. Yeah, and uh, I think that if, if it's done organically, I think it'll get over. If it's forced, it won't. And and that's really kind of the travesty of the whole thing is you know as you said just a couple of weeks ago, the notion of two women uh, headlining a pay per view felt like something that was um, I mean not so far away, uh, but but still somewhat far away, you know, months away, if not years away. And you certainly would have thought that when it w finally did happen, it would be a huge, huge deal. Not something that fans found out about that day. I mean, yeah. you talk about dropping the ball. I mean, uh, this when, when um, again, the UFC comparison, when Ronda Rousey headlined um, UFC, I think this was uh, – January 2014 or 13, it was huge. I mean, there was a full court press for it. Um, two women headlining a, a major MMA show. It was gigantic. They did huge numbers for it. They built it for, for months. Um, they got everything out of that that they could have. And WWE could not have gotten less out of this. I mean, it no. was just... Um, uh, what a waste, you know. Um, yeah, you could, it's really too bad. Relationship with ESPN, you could have easily had Charlotte out there talking it up on ESPN or doing whatever and, and building around it. But yeah, they, they built around the cage. The, the star of the show was a cage. It didn't matter yeah. in the cage first or last. It's just a big hunk of metal that they spent a lot of money on. And that's really what people were supposed to pay to see. And I just hate Hell in the Cell as a concept. I hate TLC. We've we've talked about this at length in the past. I hate that, you know, a Hell in a Cell match happens because it's October and Hell in a Cell matches happen in October. And, um, you know, I mentioned Talking Smack, the after show of SmackDown that's, you know, watched by relatively few people. They announced last night on Talking Smack that uh, the main event of TLC is AJ Styles and Dean Ambrose in a TLC match. So here you go again, an incredibly violent, dangerous match. Um, and it is announced on a show watched by relatively few people. And it's happening because it's December and the name of the pay-per-view is TLC. So you have a TLC match. Um, you know, it, it is a microcosm of um, a lot of what's wrong with WWE. Yeah. 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 All right, Dan, thank you so much. We've got a while here. It's been fun uh, just, just talking about nothing but women's wrestling. And you do, I mean, even if you weren't the co-host of this show, I would uh, seek you out to co-host this show on this topic because I think few people can 
um, explain it as well and, and have the, the base of knowledge that you do on this. So Thank uh, you, good to have you back this week. All right. Glad to be back. Yes. And uh, on that note, here is the daughter of Roddy Piper, Ariel Toombs. Thank you for, for coming on. I, I've got the book that you and your brother put together. I uh, want to talk a bit about that. Um, let me ask you first about that. You know, was it was it uh, uh, rewarding, satisfying going through some of those memories um, or or uh, just more difficult, kind of uh, uh, sad for you uh, taking that, um, that trip? Well, I mean, actually, it's a little of both. We started the book uh, about three months after he had passed um, is when we started taking over the project. So it was still pretty recent for us. Um, and at the time, you know, I was mostly just trying to power through it as best I could because it was so bittersweet. But the more we went along and interviewed people and heard more stories, it became, like, actually a really great briefing tool and very rewarding in the sense that, you know, it was almost like we were getting fatherly advice after he passed, like, hearing stories of him through his friends and stuff like that. So it's actually a really neat way to keep him alive, and I think it helped my brother and I a lot um, kind of get through that time in our life. Did you get a, a, a different understanding, a better understanding of the man uh, your father was in putting that book, to, yes. book together? Oh, yes, absolutely. You know, there were a lot of things, especially earlier in his life, that um, sort of placed where, why he was the way he was or why he became the person he became. You know, and just there were tons of little things um, that I would read or hear about, and then I would realize, like, this is why my dad reacted so strongly to this that one time. You know, there were certain things that he had very strong reactions to. So for me, it kind of, like, filled in the hole of who my father actually was and why he was the person he was. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is there one story or one, one tale that you heard from someone that um, especially kind of hit close to home? Oh, yeah. Um <laughs> Uh, for me, this one is one of the more interesting ones just because he had already had sort of a resistance towards animals, which is weird because our, like, our whole family adores animals, and um, he never really liked them. <laughs> uh, there's a story in the book about something like really traumatizing that happened with him and his dog when he was little, and I guess after that, he just never wanted to care about animals again, yeah. which for me as his daughter was a very... Uh, explained a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Also, there's, you know, he's always been very respectful of women and stuff like that. And, you know, as you, as you read earlier in the book, there's a couple of moments that happened to him when he was young and kind of just, and, and his whole family in general, he came from a uh, very strict family. So it, it kind of um, explains how he's, he was so old fashioned in the way he raised us in a lot of ways, you know? So, very much had like a patriarchal family. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know your your dad was was never shy about about opening up and and talking about his past and sometimes very emotionally, uh, even. Mm-hmm. Um, was it uh, was it worse than you thought? I mean, his his childhood, that kind of thing. Um, you know, did you get a different understanding of, of what he went through? Yes and no. It was worse than I thought in a lot of in some manners. But I also kind of always expected it because he was always, you know, like you said, he was very emotional and there were just areas of his life that he didn't want to talk about at all. And, you know, sometimes people saying nothing kind of says a lot. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, I, it, it did explain it more to me, absolutely. But, um, you know, I always knew that he had a dark past and that's kind of why he was the person he was. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what's been the the feedback uh, on the book so far? You know, it, it's not unusual these days to get a an autobiography from a wrestler, but it's not too often that you have uh, a wrestler's children writing about him. Um, it, a, a different kind of perspective is it something that people are uh, positive about? Yeah, I was. I'm very. You know, obviously this is the first book either of us have tried to write, so you know we were a little nervous as to how it, what people would think of it, but. I've heard a lot of positive feedback. I actually haven't heard anything negative. I'm not that anyone would say that to my face, I assume. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, a lot of people, I think, enjoyed the perspective. And also, there's a lot of hurt in the book, obviously, because it's our dad, and he has just passed. And, you know, so there's a lot of care in it. And we really did try to be honest about him and not be, uh, 
you know, biased or, you know, we tried to just tell the stories as honestly as we could, you know, do them justice. So I think, I think people picked up on all that and so far people really seem to enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and your dad was, you know, still very much in the public eye right, right until his uh, passing. Um, and, uh-huh. and even in WWE was a, a visible presence. And, and if he was around, I mean, with WWE network now, and as much as they're kind of bracing, their embracing their past. I imagine, um, we would have been seeing a lot more, uh, of him. What, you know, was it the case that until his final days, he, he still identified as a wrestler, loved the wrestling business, that kind of thing? I think that he always loved the wrestling business. I don't think he ever didn't love it, but as he was getting older, you know, being an aging athlete, he did kind of want to change uh, the direction of his life a little bit. Um, he That was actually part of why he had started the book originally, is he was trying to shed the Rowdy Roddy Piper image and just sort of become Robert George Stings again. He was kind of self-discovering a little bit, and he wanted to get more into stage and theater and acting and a little bit less in the wrestling industry. Um, but it wasn't that he didn't love it, he still had a big passion for it, and obviously cared for everyone. It was just kind of he was at that stage in his life. Yeah, yeah. And I know that, that you're getting involved in, in uh, wrestling promoting, potentially, and your brother has um, uh, been involved in wrestling uh, in the past. Is I mean, do you feel any kind of pressure to, to follow in your father's footsteps, or is it something that comes naturally to you and, and you do so kind of willingly? A little of both. Um, for me, personally, I my brother... My brother's always had a big passion for fighting, and I've always had a big passion for stage and theater and, you know, sort of the entertainment side of fighting. Um, for me, I feel, I feel like it's a little bit expected of you, especially with my father being gone. You know, you, I kind of feel like, how do I explain this? I kind of feel like there's, um, and, you know, that was what people thought was so special about me was my dad. Does having, uh, again, a parent that was a wrestler and such a well-known, legendary wrestler, does it um, create kind of a kinship with other children of wrestlers? I mean, I think of, you know, Ashley Flair or Cody Rhodes, people who are probably in kind of your age group who you might even, you know, have have grown up alongside. Do you feel a closeness uh, with them just in having kind of experienced the same thing? Absolutely. Uh, I know Cody and my brother are great friends, um, and it's it's one of those things where my dad always kept us pretty separate from the industry, especially us girls. Like, Colt was more the one that he would take to bring along the reading side. Um, mostly because he didn't want to bring his daughters into the locker room, <laughs> you know? Um, so, for me, I didn't really get that bond until I kind of became an adult, but I'm actually very good friends with a lot of the daughters. Of, and it's a weird, like, uh, sort of sisterhood, you feel, yeah. there, because we just all have gone through the same thing, and... It's kind of bizarre, but yeah, I'm actually very close with a lot of them. Yeah. So can you tell me more about, I mean, I don't know much about it other than something I read uh, that popped up on my news feed about uh, you and some of uh, uh, other pretty well-known daughters of wrestlers uh, potentially working together on a women's promotion. And I know one of the names that was floated as being on your wish list was uh, Ronda Rousey, of all people. (laughs) Yeah, that was um, an interview we did. uh, They just asked what type of women, and I was like, Ronda, Ronda, I, I am a huge... Ronda Rousey fan. I yeah, love same her. here. Uh, she, she trained under Jean LaBelle, which is my, do- my, uh, my father's trainer. So mm-hmm. I have, you know, I freaking love her. But um, I, whether she was interested in wrestling in our league, I don't know. I think she's sticking to MMA, but that is the type of goal that I would love to have. You know, that tough, sexy, badass Ronda. And somebody that men can take seriously, which is what I really admire about her, you know. It's, in this industry, it's very it's very hard to get taken seriously as a woman. They have to work twice as hard. And my dad used to always tell me that there's nobody that works harder than the women in wrestling. So I've, I've just mostly was saying Ronda as that type. Mm-hmm. 
you know, she's the ideal person that we'd love to have along. And if she wants to be in it, that'd be great, but yeah. that's just kind of like the type I want. And, and it sounds like you got some lofty goals. I mean, one of the things I read was that, uh, you know, you, you intend for this to be pretty major league. You intend to be able to compensate um, your women well. Um, can you talk a bit about that? I mean, how how realistic and how ambitious uh, are these goals? You know, right now there are some parts of it that I can't talk about, but mm-hmm. um, our goal in general is to sort of empower the women of the industry a little bit more. Being daughters of, of wrestlers, you know, we've all had our own experiences and have seen the industry in different lights. And, you know, a lot of those women have been underpaid or, you know, just don't get the respect that they deserve. And so... You know, this is something that we think we could do. And, you know, as far as the details as to how we're going to do it, I can't get into that yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is a goal that I think is completely accomplishable. We are in doing meetings and, you know, really trying to take it as seriously as possible. Yeah. Yeah, and as we talk, it's kind of a historic time for for women's wrestling. Just just two days ago, uh, the first ever uh, a women's match main eventing a pay per view with uh, Sasha Banks and Charlotte in uh, Hell in the Cell. Um, what I don't know how closely you're you're following, but but you know what was your take on all that? The presentation, the delivery. Um, d- did it feel like a, a, a momentous kind of historical event? You know, I heard about it, but honestly, I have not got the chance to see it yet. Mm-hmm. But I do think um, the fact that they were, you know, the first main event, like, I think that's freaking amazing. And that's the whole goal that we have is to put the women of fighting back into the limelight more and, you know, give them give them the respect that they deserve. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and... and uh... One of the things I thought was sort of cool about the main event uh, of that pay-per-view, and honestly, it wasn't the greatest match I've seen, uh, but that they they were criticized for not having a great match. I almost thought it was kind of a good thing because they were criticized the way men would be criticized for, for not having yeah, delivering a, a great match. I mean, it, it would, there wasn't any kind of different standard. And, um, you know, you mentioned Ronda Rousey, and it, and, and it sort of strikes me as the same thing. I remember when women's MMA was kind of a novelty, uh, and now nobody would think twice about. I mean, you'd be crazy not to put Ronda Rousey in the main event of, of your show. Um, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I completely agree. And I think criticizing it like you would the men's fight is part of how they'll have to get the same respect, you know, in the industry. Yeah, yeah. Is your is your brother still involved in MMA? I know that he uh, kind of tinkered with it for he, a while. Um, yeah, he's not doing MMA, but he is going to start. You're going to start seeing him wrestling in Vegas for. He's um, he's transferring over to Vegas. Yeah. Okay. That's Sorry. great. Okay, cool. Yeah. When 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 he was competing MMA, was that what what did did your dad and yourself and the rest of the family uh, think of that? I mean, it, it still sort of early on in the sport when he got involved. Yeah. Were were you worried for him? I, you know, it's funny, I have seen my dad fight so many times, but the second I saw my brother get hit, I bawled like a baby. Like, I, <laughs> it's just like that, that older sister, like, don't hit my little brother. Like, I'm not okay with it. Um, you know, I, but it's different, because, you know, my dad was always immortal to me growing up, and, you know, it's something I was used to at an early age, but Colton, I'm not used to it. Yeah. I feel that dad wants, would want Colt to, um, do a little bit more with his life and not hurt his body. Not that it's not doing a lot, but, you know, he, would, he wouldn't want Colt to be in as much pain as my dad was for so long, yeah. physically, from all the injuries. Yeah. Um, Colton, however, <laughs> feels otherwise. Yeah. So I, think it's a, I think for dad it was always a mixed, you know, thing where, you know, he was proud of Colt and proud of, you know, how hard he would work at it and everything, but at the same time he was weary of where it could lead in Colton's future. Yeah. Yeah. But for me, it's hard. I don't like seeing him get hit. He's charming as hell, though. <laughs> he's got a—he's one of those kids that's just—he's really fun to talk to, and he's got a great uh, energy on camera that you know is kind of natural to him. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> I remember seeing something. I think it was a local uh, Oregon news story about um, your your dad and your brother kind of restarting the Oregon uh, wrestling scene. Um, I think sort of built around uh, uh, your brother. And I know that was some years back. What what became of that? Did it never really kind of fully get off the ground? Yeah, they were doing um, Portland wrestling for a while, and I think he did it for maybe two or three seasons. I'm, I'm actually not sure, but it was going on for a while. And I guess you know whoever 
you know, I wasn't really involved in that, but whoever was in charge of it, it just kind of fizzled out. It didn't, you know, they, they ended up wrapping it up. Um, you know, it's a hard thing to get off the ground. Yeah, yeah. So, but my brother had, I think that's when my brother's passion for MMA kind of turned more towards wrestling because he had so much fun and was just, you know, very close with all those guys. And, you know, I think that's when he really started wanting to pursue wrestling more. Yeah. How old is he now? I should know this. Um... <laughs> He was born in 89. Don't make me do math. I think he's like 28. Okay. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. And and is there a, a kind of a lines of communication open with WWE? Um, you know, they've been really great to us um, since Dad passed. I, we have nothing bad to say. I mean, they've, you know, they've, they've put dinner on our table our whole lives. Yeah. So we love them. Um, right now, they, you know, right now it's, it's open, but at the same time, my brother has a family life. So he's not sure if he wants to sure. go on the road and do that whole lifestyle yet. But yeah. it's definitely something that he would consider. I mean, who wouldn't want to work with WWE? So he's just kind of torn between wrestling, you know, in a smaller venue locally and and traveling, you know. Yeah, who's got more of of your dad's personality um, and that that really out there, loud, manic, brash uh, personality? <laughs> Is that you or your brother? Oh, oh, that's a hard one. Okay, <laughs> I think Holden takes on Dad. I, like, I think Dad and I have kindred spirits. I think that we, it's almost like down the middle, like Dad's business side and his, his I don't know, his. This, we wanted the same things in life, and I think Colton and Dad kind of are different than that. However, Colton does have a lot of his um, seriousness. Yeah. <laughs> For lack of, like, like, he has a lot of my dad's, macho heaviness and he is a, more of a troublemaker than I'll ever be. Um, I've always kind of been the good girl keeping everyone in line, but Colton is a little bit more of a wild card. So it's kind of down the middle. Colton's got more of that and I, you know, my dad and I just had a lot of like same perspectives and once in life. Yeah, yeah. Well, anyhow, I'm, I'm enjoying the book. I'm still uh, working on it, and uh, thank you for, for taking a few minutes here. Anything uh, you want to promote as far as the book or uh, the promotion you're working on? Um, yeah, I just want to say uh, a couple things. I just want to say that the, you know, for people that aren't the biggest Rowdy Roddy Piper fans, or even if they're not the greatest wrestling fans, like this book is really about Roger George Jr. And I think that's why it's been received so well, is just because... Um, you know, people aren't seeing it being just as a wrestling book, but he had a really interesting life. And, you know, I think people become fans of, of Roger George Hughes as they're reading the book. So I hope that they, you know, get that out of it, as well as, um, other than that, I have an album I'm going to be putting out in the near future. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, follow me on Twitter, at Ariel Field. All right. Well, thank you so much. appreciate you taking the time, and I uh, wish you the best of luck. Thank you so much for having me.